You're listening to Guitar Goddess Radio with Azina. Sitting down today with Paula Boggs from the Paula Boggs Band. She talks about her journey as a soulgrass artist and what prompted her to leave behind working as an attorney for the Obama administration, Starbucks, you know, the Bush administration, and to transition into music. Something uh, very dramatic happened in my life that sort of shifted things. And for me, that was my sister-in-law died. And it was this amazingly tragic thing. Uh, My niece, my brother's daughter, was two years old at the time and in fact randy and i are raising her now uh and i really came back to music and playing my guitar initially as a way to grieve and my my spouse suggested that you know maybe this will help you and it did and it was one of those things as soon as i i came back to it Mm -hmm. i couldn't leave it (laughs) and it you know and it wasn't one of these oh my god I'm you know I'm going on the road with a rock band (laughs) moments it it wasn't like that it was you know because I had a full-time job I was at Starbucks at the time um but it was the spark that leads me to this moment and 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 basically what happened initially I got guitar lessons uh, again, and I hadn't taken guitar lessons in forever. <laughs> and my my guitar teacher, it was really quite special. He said to me, hey, I understand you used to write music. And I said, yeah, that, that was a long time ago, though. And he said, well, here's what I want to do. I want to teach you new things on the music you wrote he had me, <laughs> he had me alone. So, you know, and that was, that was an amazing teaching technique because, you know, he engaged me and, you know, really inspired me to, you know, to practice and, you know, to keep at it. And within a short time after that, starting lessons again, I saw an ad in our local newspaper Seattle Times uh, announcing a one-year songwriters program offered through the University of Washington evening school and you know I looked at it I was intrigued by it and I said I don't have time for this and and then my, my spouse said no 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 you can make time it's once a week for three hours make make the time and so I, I did. And uh, that for me, Azina, was the first time actually in my life I was part of a songwriting community. Wow. You know, where, you know, I was one of 15 people. We saw each other every week. And a number of these people are still my friends. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that year, my my uh, my songwriting teacher pulled me aside. It was a mentoring moment, and she she said to me, "Paula, I think you really have something here, and what a shame it would be if you didn't keep going." And back then, this is this is uh, twenty uh, two thousand six. Okay. I didn't know what that meant. I, you know, I had a full-time job. I had responsibilities. I I didn't know what keep going uh, meant, but I decided at the beginning of 07 to do one open mic a month. That was my new year's resolution. And I did it. And along the way, I met some amazing musicians who who dug my music they dug the lyrics they you know the vibe and three of them uh we're we're still playing together so there's six members of paula Boggs band and four of us have have been playing together since 07 our our first gig was january of of 08 so literally 10 years ago that's awesome 
I love I love this story so much. It is so inspiring on so many different levels. And I just have to tell you, like my mom absolutely adores you for two reasons. <laughs> One is she thinks that you can get me to go back to law school because I did a year of law school and I bounced. I was like, nope. <laughs> but you've managed to do, you, you have such a full life. Um, you know, were you doing music while you were in the army as well? Were you kind of, you know, writing songs or was it still on the shelf then? No, I, I actually wrote um, a few songs while in the army. And one of them is one I first wrote uh, back in the 80s. We've it, you know, massaged this song many, many times over the years. It was a, it was a rock song at one point. You know, it, it, we even had a rapper on a version of the song um, at, at one point. It's called Look Straight Ahead. And it's on our Carnival of Miracles album as basically a, a folk rock song. But last year we had the good fortune of doing a hell show in mobile alabama and while we were there the guy who was hosting us is is um is a big music guy in mobile and he suggested that we really strip the song down and do it in a very rootsy way uh and and so that's the way we do it now but when i first wrote it while in the military it was at a time when i rode the bus a lot the public transportation uh that's how i got to work uh and if you've never rid ridden a public bus it is an amazing uh, sea of information for a songwriter. <laughs> right, it's true. It's true. It, just, it doesn't matter what city you're in. If you're a songwriter, you, you need to ride public transportation. <laughs> you need to ride a bus. Uh, and the song really was inspired by this young Black man who got on a bus I was riding. And he was angry. He was, he, he, he was obviously bothered and angry. And I was fix, fixated by him. I just could not take my eyes off him. And during the course of that ride, I just made up this entire <laughs> narrative about this young man and his struggles and, and what life must be like for a young black man and the irony of that is we perform that song now and it is as fresh today unfortunately <laughs> as it was in the 80s when i wrote it you know it, i wrote the song you know, before Rodney King, mm -hmm. you know, be, you know, before a lot of stuff that has happened, certainly before Trayvon Martin and, and all of those things. But when people hear the song, that's where they go. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I wrote it while, while in the military. You know, I find it interesting that, you know, we're talking about this song that you wrote all these years ago. And I find it interesting that we are still having these same conversations. Yes. World. Like it just blows my mind that in 2018, we are still dealing with, you know, police brutality. We're still dealing with, you know, just racial issues and just inequality on every level um, for women and people of color. And I think it's music that makes that palatable. You know, yeah. I think that's why we have to do what we do as songwriters and musicians and people like yourself. You've seen a lot more of the world and many more things than I'll ever see because of your experience in the military and working in the government. 
you know, and I'm just curious, does that shape all of your, your songwriting? Because I, I listened to your new project, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit, you know, yeah. sir, and, um, you know, and just the whole soul grass, like the fact that you are a soul grass artist, I'm just like, what? <laughs> what? And then I listened to it and I was just like, oh yeah, yeah, I hear it because, you know, we're still having these same conversations. Yeah. And before it was going through the Dylans and the Joan Baez and the Joan yeah. Armatradens and, you know, women like that who were out there singing these songs of protest and songs of hope and songs of inspiration. And yeah. I feel like you're doing that so beautifully, you, you know, with your body of work is just awesome. And wow, soul grass. So <laughs> tell me how, how did that come to be? Because I know it's an, there's an organic story there. Yes, well, you know, for me, it started as a child and so I guess in some respects my my sensibility has always been soul grass I just didn't have a word for it back then and so why why did that happen mm -hmm. it starts with the church okay I I um, I am the child of a father who was Roman Catholic and a mother who is African Methodist Episcopal. Oh, wow. Yes. That is quite the marriage right oh, there. Of it, like <laughs> it really is. And so on, on the Catholic side of it, I, I was in elementary school when, you know, Dylan and Simon and Garfunkel, Joan Baez, you know, all of these folks were emerging mm -hmm. and the Catholic Church was embracing a lot of this music. It, it was the beginning, you know, of the folk mass, you know, where, you know, as part of, you know, the church's liturgy and service, you know, folk music was woven, you know, into it. So, you know, I was hearing this music in church and at school because I was attending Catholic school at the time but every other week i would go to church with my mom and so there would be you know the shouting and the gospel yeah, yeah. and the clapping and you know just the you know the exuberance yeah you know that comes with you know being part of an african methodist episcopal service uh, and so you know one week it would be the minor chords and you know all of that <laughs> right, the right. and the guitars and then the next week you know everybody you know is doing their thing in the ama church and so it was it was my normal um to have those influences be central to what music was you know for me and you know in the home i was my my parents were playing stuff you know I, i've thought a lot about this you know they weren't playing you know the supremes and the temptations as much as they were playing otis redding mm. um sam cook uh you know folks like that the the staple singers mm -hmm. you know and so you know that was you know the music of my my early childhood and then my my mom when my when my folks split up uh in the 70s my mom which was <laughs> this amazingly courageous maybe crazy act she she took herself and her four children out of the united states to germany to europe Wow. where she became a teacher in the department of defense school system you know and so my my life changed radically at age 13 including the music i was exposed to because when i was in elementary school we were living in what was still very much segregated virginia 
Uh, and the Catholic school and the Catholic church were the only integrated institutions uh, in Petersburg, Virginia. When I lived there, everything else, you know, was, was segregated. Uh, and, and, and I left that moving to Europe with, you know, my siblings and my mom where everything was integrated and, yeah. and you know, including my friends you know, for the first time, really. Uh, and, and with that came music that I'd never been exposed to, including jazz. Mm. Um, there, were, there were a lot of um, expatriate jazz musicians, including African-American jazz musicians, who were able to earn more money in Europe than in the U.S. And so that's where they were. Uh, and so even my whole concept of what it means to be African-American uh, was reshaped dramatically by, by being in Europe. Wow. You know, I find that so true um, for myself even now. You know, my music is much more successful in Europe and I find that a lot of us is, is, you know, black artists who kind of mold our music and is not R&B or hip hop tend to, <laughs> to go yeah. across the pond yeah. to have success. And it's interesting that you had that very, very young. Yes. And your mom is, oh my God, what an incredible woman. Oh yeah. What an incredible woman. I would love to meet her, you know, just like what was going through your mind? Like, I'm going to take my kids out of this segregation across the pond into Europe yes. and gonna make this work. <laughs> it, you know, it, it, the, more, the older I get, the more odd I am by what my mom did. Because, I mean, literally, we got on a plane in Richmond, Virginia, landed in Frankfurt, Germany, and not knowing what city in Germany we were going to live in until we actually landed. We landed and someone met us and told us, oh, you know, you're going to live in Karlsruhe, Germany. We didn't even know that <laughs> <laughs> until we were there. So yes, it, it, you know, it really, when people know that about my mom, yeah, it makes who I am and what they see of me. Yes. Far more understandable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, she did, you know, I, I always say that as musicians, we're kind of gypsies yeah. because we do that. We pick up our gear and we go where they tell us to go and we land somewhere we've never been. And we're like, okay, this is yeah. home for, you know, three days or a week or whatever. That's and right. your mom prepared you for that when she like yeah. you and your siblings and said, we're going, I don't know where we're going, but it's better than where we are right now. So we're yes. going to happen. <laughs> yes. Incredible, incredible. I love, love, love this story. And I love learning about you and your, your family and your background and how you got to this soul grass. And, you know, I want to get back to, um, you know, leaving the kind of legal world behind a little bit you you do you can never leave it completely behind because as a musician we have more contracts than i think you know <laughs> oh isn't that the truth <laughs> i mean it's a contract for everything you know you're gonna play here okay you need insurance you gotta have your gear and da -da -da. you know the contracts are never ending so that will serve you till the end of time but i'm curious about that transition you said there was something that happened you know a traumatic situation and you started writing music again what was the turning point that you said, okay, no more of this corporate world and mm -hmm. I'm just going to embrace my calling of being a musician? Yes. And I, you know, I think um, a number of things really came together um, leading to the decision I made. And you know, one of them, I, I have to give props to, to Starbucks because I'm not sure if I had been at you know some other corporation, any other corporation, 
my journey would have unfolded the way it did. And, and what I mean by that, when I, when I got to, to Starbucks in 2002, music was woven into virtually everything Starbucks did. You know, it, it, it was a really big piece of its brand. And so with that, you know, not only was, you know, music around this corporate culture 24-7, Starbucks was attracting a number of people who, you know, were musicians when they weren't Starbucks employees. And, you know, and so from, from the store level on up, you know, it, it, you know, there's the, you know, the joke, your, your friendly Starbucks, you know, barista is at Starbucks because, you know, he or she can get healthcare benefits, you know, while continuing to do their music or their acting or their fine art or whatever it is. And there's some truth to that. And so, you know, I was in this company where there are a lot of artists, there are a lot of people who um, are passionate about music and the arts uh, and do it, you know? And so that was my Petri dish. Uh, you know, the 10 years I was at Starbucks, I was surrounded by incredibly creative people. And so I was part of this community that fueled that. Um, you know, a second piece of it was Starbucks had been very successful and had given me the gift of being able to do a next chapter, not worrying as much, you know, hand to mouth, you know, how am I, how am I really going to live, um, which can be a barrier for so many people to take that kind of leap. But I was, I, I've been lucky, I've been fortunate. And so that was a, a second piece. Um, a third piece was, I felt a very strong sense of completion mm. at Starbucks. You know, I had been there 10 years. Um, it was really important for me. I was Starbucks top lawyer. It was really important for me to groom the people who would follow me. And I thought I had done that. I thought, you know, I knew I had no control over, you know, who followed me if I left. Mm -hmm. But my job was to have people ready. Uh, and so I felt that was done. I felt there were two people on my team who could do my job. And, and frankly, one of them, uh, Lucy Helm, did follow me. She became Starbucks next uh, general counsel. Yeah. So, you know, that was, that was done. I felt, I felt completion. Meanwhile, I had been so passionate about Barack Obama and his journey yeah, from jump. I mean, as, as soon as I learned who he was, right? <laughs> um, I, I became, you know, an acolyte. I became, you know, a, a believer uh, in in what he stood for. Uh, and for me, in two thousand eight, the things that in twenty twelve told me I can leave weren't quite there yet. In in two thousand eight, I I did I thought there was more work uh, for me to do. Uh, at Starbucks, and it was during the recession. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was a very hard time for, um, for, for me and for Starbucks. And so, you know, it just was not the right time. But by 2012, you know, Starbucks was back on its way. Uh, and meanwhile, I really believe Barack Obama, President Obama now, was going to be in the fight of his life. And I had always wanted to work on a presidential campaign. Uh, and that's what I told Howard Schultz. I, I said, uh, the founder of, of Starbucks, I said, you know, I, um, I've always wanted uh, to work on a presidential campaign. I have, I've worked 
I mean, it's, it's weird to say this, but I've, I've actually worked for four presidents. Wow. And, yeah. And I, and I, I had, I had never felt the passion I felt for Barack Obama. And I really didn't think that was going to happen for me again in my lifetime. So that was a big driver uh, for leaving, for leaving Starbucks when I did in 2012. But the final kicker was, you know, our band had started playing in, um, in two, 2008. Mm -hmm. And by, by 2012, it was like, you know, is this going to be a hobby? Is this going to be, you know, is this plateaued in this nice, comfortable place? Or are we going to really try to do something? you know, mm -hmm. with this, we, you know, I, I was convinced, you know, what we do, not a lot of people do, you know, and, you know, we use real instruments, mm -hmm. uh, to create, you know, something we hope is unique, uh, and lyrically, you know, my songwriting was, was one of the things that attracted these musicians, because trust me, all of these music, I, you know, I'm the worst musician of the six of us, but the lyrics and the message and, you know, and, you know, how I put chords together was something these really seasoned musicians in some cases said, you know, I want to be part of that, you know? And so here we were, it, it was this moment and I said, I got to do it. If, 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 if not now, when? Right. I'm so glad you did. And this is so awesome that we're having this conversation because we get a lot of emails in of women who are in corporate jobs, but their passion is music. And mm -hmm. I think you are the heroine for them to be able to say you can do it and have yes. success because you're having quite a bit of success young lady you are doing incredible things your music is very thought-provoking and moving you know i was very moved listening to holocene yes oh so tell us about i know we got so much into you i could talk to you for like hours and i know we have <laughs> limited time so i guess i should transition into the music and we'll have to have yeah. a follow-up interview because i still have so many more questions um but like tell us about elixir how it came to be and once you give us the overview i want to circle back and talk about holocene absolutely so the the album elixir cannot be divorced from the times we're living in it just it just can't yeah of the 11 songs on elixir um i i wrote 10 of them are i wrote nine of them our lead guitarist uh, mark shinnan wrote the instrumental two daughters and and holocene is our only cover uh and so you know i'm writing this music for the most part in you know in 2015 uh and the early part of 2016 uh and i'm, I'm troubled i you know you you can't you can't escape that energy in this album i'm i'm troubled but i'm also an incredibly hopeful person you know this is you know i'm someone you know i serve my country you know i'm, I'm a veteran mm -hmm. and and so there it, you know, there's a lot of of elixir that is animated by we got to do better than this we can do better yeah. than this. We 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 need to do better than this, but we can also do better than this. Right? You know, so so that you know that energy, um, uh, you know, is played out, you know, throughout the album. But 
it it is not the only theme of this this album you know there are you know there, there's the the love song gypsy sapphire uh you know there's you know the um you know the the beauty and mystery of of Holocene, which we're going to get to in a moment you know there's the love of a father for his daughters that is that is captured uh in two daughters mm-hmm. so you know it it has those those themes of come on you know america come on world yeah. <laughs> we can do better but it also has these these other things and so the the term elixir you know elixir is a is a magic potion which if you t- you know if you consume it should make things better for you <laughs> so, um, we thought it was the perfect you know metaphor uh for you know what we were you know trying to do with with this record and it is very magical you know i love your your playing and i want to get into your instruments in a little bit well why don't we just go there what are you playing what instruments are you playing because you're playing guitar yeah so i am um on this album, I'm actually playing uh, four, no, f- yeah, four separate instruments. I'm, I'm playing mostly um, a, um, a Gibson J45 uh, <laughs> acoustic guitar. Uh, I'm, I'm also uh, playing another acoustic guitar that is, that is tuned uh, to open G, so it has open G tuning, and and that is what I used on Elixir. Uh, I'm actually finger picking an electric guitar on rear view mirror. Wow! Uh, and um, and then there are songs like Get Along Song where I'm playing ukulele. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. And so you told us about the Gibson. What other instruments are you using? Shout out all your gear for my yeah. <laughs> so um, on um, on Holocene, uh, I'm I'm actually in the studio. I was playing a a Laravie. Okay. Uh, the electric guitar was um, is a Paul Reed Smith. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I'm at the NAMM show right now, and, and one of the one of the booths I hope to visit this afternoon is the Paul Reed Smith. Oh my gosh, uh, I love, that's what I play, I'm a Paul Reed Smith girl, love yeah. it. Yeah, and then I have a, a, a Kaya okay. uh, ukulele, so. All the, all the standards, like I love it, I love it, the creme de la creme. <laughs> that's great that's great and so with your songwriting for elixir you were saying you started this in 2015 at what point did you feel like i am done writing the pieces for elixir well that's really that's a really great question uh in in some respects um a couple of these songs were not written fully until we actually performed them mm-hmm. in the studio. And and what do I what do I mean by that? Um, you know, we had we had um, charted out um, we all fall down okay. certainly uh, before we got into the studio, but we we recorded that song. The, the day after the, the 2016 election. Oh. Uh, and so you, you can't, you know, you wow. can't divorce, you know, the energy uh-huh. of, of we all fall down from the moment, you know? And so mm. that is an example of a song that in its fullest form yeah. written as we performed it. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Wow. 
Yeah, that day will be forever stamped in my mind, as will the day that Obama got elected. Those two days are... They're just, bookends. They really. really are. They really are. And <clears throat> with, with the Soulgrass sessions, you know, talk a little bit more about that. I know we don't have much more time. We don't have that much time. But I want you to talk about the Soulgrass sessions for someone who has never heard it, because think about it, they're not going to hear it to the end of the podcast. So sit yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, let's talk about Elixir, because okay. even though, I mean, let's talk about Holocene on Elixir. Yes. Um, it, it is the one song we covered. Um, I think talking about it, in many respects, captures the spirit of the entire album. So Holocene was written by uh, Justin Vernon, who goes by the stage name Bon Iver. And in his original version, it is very ethereal. In fact, the listener often has a hard time discerning what his lyrics are because he, you know, he's processed his voice. You know, there's a lot of electronica going on in the original version of that song. It was thus the perfect vehicle for the Paul Boggs band because, you know, with a cover, the goal I think for, for many of us is to try to bring something new and fresh to a song that a lot of people know. Mm -hmm. in its original form. So we, we went 180 on, yeah, <laughs> uh, on Holocene. Every, the, the listener can hear every single instrument. When the banjo is playing, you know it's a banjo. When the mandolin is playing, you know it's a mandolin. You know, the drums come in dramatically. You know, you hear my finger picking on guitar. Uh, the piano is very dramatic in our version of Holocene. Uh, and you can hear every lyric of that song. Uh, and so there's a, there is an authenticity that we hoped um, we could bring to that song and to the album as a whole that would really capture the listener you know in this age of you know social media everything's on a you know phone everything you know everything is is or often things are so processed and and you know so inauthentic we wanted to turn that on its head to basically say look you know we're message music often, um, you know, following in the tradition of the, the great songwriters of the 1960s. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to think of this being the 50th anniversary of 1968 and all, all that means, you know, 68. I mean, it was such a pivotal year in our, in our nation's conversation and globally. Uh, and so we wanted to say, hey, you know, it, it's not just a historical thing. We need this now. Mm -hmm. uh, and to, to further your ability to, to hear it and receive it, we want it to be as authentic as we can make it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that's what listeners hopefully get from... Uh, listening to our album, listening to the song Holocene, but any of the songs uh, on, uh, on Elixir, uh, we had the good fortune of premiering the song Benediction, which I was inspired to write in the immediate aftermath of the Charleston Nine murders that happened at Mother Emanuel AME Church um, a couple years ago. Uh, to write that song. We premiered it uh, in Charleston last June with the Mother Emanuel AME Choir uh, in Charleston Music Hall. And for us as musicians, 
our bass player was was sobbing uh, uncontrollably after our performance because to be in that room, to hear, you know, every member of that choir, by definition, had lost someone incredibly dear, by definition. But at the end of our song, they were singing with joy, save our land, save our land, save our land. And, you know, and it was just this, this moment that as, as musicians and as humans, we, we, we know we'll never be there again. It, it was just one of those moments. Mm. Uh, and, and that, as much as anything, you know, is our hope for the album, that you, you listen to it there are songs that are incredibly intimate and when you hear them that it will take you to a very intimate place you know there are songs that are you know basically saying stay woke you yeah. know <laughs> like sleepwalking yeah. and we hope you will <laughs> you <Yeah. know? laughs> after listening to uh, that song and so yes that's that's what we're hoping we we make the kind of music that you know we're you know some people make music for the cool factor and and other kinds of wow factors we make music yes to entertain but hopefully to touch you to you know to really communicate with the listener you know that at the end of the day you know enables you to have your journey whatever that needs to be for you through our music. Mm, beautiful. Wow, that's incredible. Thank you so much, Paula. That's just awesome. And I did feel very touched by the music. I love the music videos. I felt like there was a lot of time and care given to the videos as well to make sure that they enhance the song it wasn't just you know here's our visual interpretation it, it, they really enhance the the songs as well so i'm just so grateful that we've had this time and i just like to ask you um you know for women out there who are on the fence about leaving their their jobs and corporate America or whatever it is, and they're not following their bliss by following, you know, doing their music, what would you say to them? Here's my message to my, my, my fellow women out there. You know, we put a lot on ourselves and society puts uh, a lot on us. Uh, and there are as many life journeys as there are people. Uh, but my advice is, you know, not everybody can, you know, leave a job and, and do what I do, but hopefully everyone can first identify what you need to be whole, you know? So it starts with a personal, conversation. Who am I? What do I need? Um, and, and no matter where you are in life, chart out that map between where you are and where you would ideally want to be. And then define for your, yourself one step that gets you closer to that. Because it, it's a step-by-step -step thing. Yes. You know? And by, by, by doing that work, by, by, under, you know, by giving yourself permission to say, here's where I am now. Here's where I want to be. And taking one step towards that ideal state. You, you've moved because you're no longer where you were and that is the beauty of the journey absolutely absolutely and what a beautiful journey you are on 
you inspired me so much with your your story just from the beginning to the like where we are right now like hearing about your mom just you know i'm gonna take my family up out of this and we're gonna go over here and we're gonna have this new experience you yeah. come back and serving in the army and your work with you know uh starbucks and your work in the obama administration to your gifts that you're giving us through song through your songwriting through your band um you guys are are touring a lot like i see lots of tour dates and uh you know tell tell us a little bit about the the promotion for elixir and where people could possibly connect with you um tell us about where you're headed on with performances as well as how we can find you on social media absolutely so you know go to our website which is www.polybogsband.net we're all over social media. You can find us on Spotify, Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud. I mean, we're, we're just all over the, the place. Uh, you know, just put in Paula Boggs Band and you'll, you'll find us. Uh, we have uh, been really fortunate to tour nationally and we're continuing that now. Uh, tomorrow night, we're in LA, we're playing at Genghis Cohen. Uh, a venue we love. It'll be our third time uh, playing there. Uh, we're doing um, a bunch of stuff in the Pacific Northwest over the over the next couple months, uh, and and then we, you know, our 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 hope, and we're talking to a lot of venues now, is to get back to the East Coast, do some festivals there. But all of all of this will be on our website. So you go to our website, you'll know exactly where we are at any given moment. Paula, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your music. We will continue to follow you and you know your music. I just, I'm in love. Like I was just so, I'm so happy to know about you and to know about your music and just thank you for your contribution in every way, you know, your contribution to our country, you know, our contribution through song and, you know, just keep doing what you're doing, lady. You're awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure and Bye. we will be in touch soon. Ciao. Bye-bye. Ciao. <laughs> Spoke for me. 
of Guitar Goddess, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a positive review. For weekly updates on concerts, events, and VIP giveaways, don't forget to join our VIP list at guitargoddess.com. You can also find us on the web at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Guitar Goddess Co. Until next time, keep rocking. <laughs>